I'm off in my own private little world anyway, so it's... Um... Cheers anyway? Yeah, cheers. Oh, I need to open my um, bottle. Oh, are you going to wait until we get started and then open it? Yeah. Brilliant. I want to make the sound. Nice. listening to i might be wrong a podcast hosted by myself rich newnham and my co-host henry salmon welcome back you are listening to me it's rich i've got henry with me how are you doing henry uh i'm very well thank you rich yeah life's good, good. you're drinking beer i'm about to drink beer life's great i am we are recording at a more civilized hour of the day so late afternoon which is ideal for beer drinking yeah, I'll take that. This is the last day of my holiday, so this is good. And I'm about to go back into bad with work and all its, all its fun. So I'm enjoying this at the moment. This is a, a nice way to, to end a, a break. Have you done the work preview of what you're about to get, where you sort of sneak in, have a quick look through the headlines of your emails and then disappear again before anyone notices you've been online? I may do that on Sunday night just to panic myself into working hard on Monday. So maybe, <laughs> who, who knows? Right, right, right not now, yet. No, not yet. I can't. I really can't be bothered. So that's save that for another day. Yeah, that's fair. It is only Friday, so I don't know why I think you would have done that. I try not to do it, but occasionally, if you know that stuff's going on, you just do it anyway, just to torture yourself. Yeah. Do, do I want to open my eyes before the car crashes into the wall? Who, who knows? Um, so <laughs> we'll we'll see. But right now, no, my eyes are firmly shut. But yeah. Yeah. In in in, in better news, um, let's talk about some music because absolutely, uh, it's your pick this week, and you've gone you've gone large. I have. Well. I was sort of led into this because my original plan was to talk about Death in Vegas and the Contino Sessions, which is an album that I really love. And we will talk about that album probably fairly soon. But I realised as I started doing my research that I couldn't talk about that without talking about this. And this is the Chemical Brothers' Dig Your Own Hole. It's uh, Well, it's, it's a classic, isn't it? And it's an album which, just from the album art, you can recognise... Oh, yeah. You can recognise it straight away. Again, it's from, when, 97 or so? Late 90s? So it's from that time when, I guess, anyone of our age is getting into music and you would have bumped into this album in some shape or form when you're growing up. This was a big house party album for me. One of my mates at school, a guy called Dave Fillets, was very into this kind of music and I think it was probably him that would play this a lot of house parties. I don't know whether that's where I first came across it. It may have been that or XFM, but it's it's one of those albums that I don't remember finding. I purely remember knowing it intimately well, and I don't remember a time before it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm just the same. And I think it's House Parties as well. I think it's been the background music to a lot of growing up. And I don't think... I did, I've never owned the album, so I've only mm-hmm. heard it either through other people at other houses, but I've never gone out and bought this one. So yeah, I'm in the same camp as you. I guess we should probably tell those two or three people that haven't heard of the Chemical Brothers who the Chemical Brothers are. Yeah, give an introduction because there are two of them. Um, Mm -hmm. That's all I know. (laughs) (laughs) So it's Ed and, is it Ed and? Ed and Tom. Who are the names? Tom, that's it. Ed Simons and Tom Rowlands who met, I guess, in the rave scene 
going to acid house raves in Manchester in the late 80s, early 90s. They were both originally from London, but moved up to Manchester for the music scene up there. And then they got big DJing, or big. They got sort of big in the underground Manchester scene under the alias the 237 Turbo Nutters, which is named after their house number that they lived in in Manchester. That's uh, so cool. Terrible, <laughs> terrible such name. A, such a shit name for a band, but brilliant oh, at the same time. Just awful. But they, they then switched to the Dust Brothers. So if you've heard of the Dust Brothers, they're the US production duo that work on things like the Beastie Boys albums. Because I heard of the... The only dust band I know are the Dust Junkies who okay. were operating around that time. If anyone from who's listening remembers the Dust Junkies, they were pretty damn cool, but they were quite niche. Um, <laughs> Fair maybe enough. They're, 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 they're one for another day, but yeah. Well, they, they sort of took on this name in homage to the original US Dust Brothers because they assumed they'd never be famous enough for them to find out. And then they had to change to the Chemical Brothers in 1995, of course, after the Dust Brothers did hear of them and sort of objected to them using their name, uh, which is cool. There was never any like major fallout or anything like that. They just were like, yeah, I guess I guess we should probably come up with our own name now. But yeah, they're, they're a fascinating duo. They started off DJing at raves, but they've both got massive broad musical influences. So not just that kind of acid house rave culture, but also psychedelia, so like the later Beatles hip-hop. Roland described the first Public Enemy album as the record that probably changed his life. They were into gothic rock and classic electronica, so it wouldn't be me talking about electronica if I didn't mention Kraftwerk being an influence. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Kraftwerk are an influence. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering, who are you going to mention now you're talking about classic electronica? There's probably only one, one name at the top of that list. Oh, I mean... It's an odd one because Kraftwerk aren't part of my influential electronica listening, and they're almost this slightly mocked band, but they're so, so important to so much of modern electronic music that I feel like I need to at some point just spend a week listening to Kraftwerk and really getting into their stuff. Yeah, they're definitely a band that you hear mentioned a lot, and I've never put on a Kraftwerk album, but you hear their music all over the place. Right. It it does crop up a lot. But yeah, they're almost like one of the founding fathers, aren't they? They're, they're mm-hmm. the kind of foundation with which a lot of electronic bands have built their, built their name. My concern is that I will go and listen to them and they'll be like pavement for indie, where I'm like, nope, leave <laughs> me completely cold. Don't know why they're so important, but, but they are, and I need to go and listen to them. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. Shit. Okay, they 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 started working in the mid seventies. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've been around for a long time. Wow. Yeah. So, so we should bring it back to Chemical Brothers because that's who we're here to talk about. And we do love we do love a, a random side point on this podcast. But I've got a lot to say about the chemicals, so we should probably try and stay a little bit on our subject this time. So, Chemical Brothers. You can't really think about the Chemical Brothers without thinking about the big beat dance movement in the UK that then spread pretty globally and Big Beat is sort of it sort of has a bad name these days because so many bands came after that first wave that were just trying to do the same thing but not really understanding 
the the depth of what you could do with those things they're just like throw some big beats at it throw some keyboard and some vocal sample over the top and we're done we've got a hit let's let's run with that whereas what the chemicals did is it is big beat but there's a lot of other stuff going on in the music so there's all this psychedelic stuff there's a lot more chill out in their stuff than you'd think if you just listen to the big hits but they're really one of the biggest establishing names that brought big beat to the mainstream so you've got them in 97 you've got prodigy's fat of the land in 97 which was a real shift in tone for the prodigy uh you've got fat boy slims uh you've come a long way baby which is another one that really cemented this kind of sound and then you've got the kind of lesser known names like bentley rhythm ace and those kind of guys propeller heads that kind of stuff that came in on the back of this and sort of helped establish all of this as a sound in the late 90s and early thousands but these guys were real pioneers so their first two albums were huge i suspect that their profile was certainly not hurt by setting sun which was a single that was released in between their first two albums but appears on the second album and gallagher did the vocals for that because early in 1994 the dust brothers as they were then were approached in a club in london by noel gallagher for a remix of a track that he was working on that didn't happen but then they met up again in glastonbury in 1995 and that led to setting sun because they had this mutual love of a certain beatles track which i will talk about when we actually come and talk about songs on the album yeah so that's how i have first heard of them so setting sun was on a Compilation album, uh, okay. which uh, I forget the name of, but it was the first, <laughs> um, probably the first kind of electronica track I've ever really owned. That and I think right. Little Fluffy Clouds by The Orb was floating oh, around on there as well. I love Little Fluffy Clouds. I love Little Fluffy Clouds. So good. But yeah, so Setting Sun was on there and, and I didn't know until much later mm-hmm. about the Gallagher, the oasis connection really um, it was yeah i just didn't know I, oh I, wow because that was a huge thing at the time yeah just was wasn't on my radar i think just because the chemical brothers generally weren't on my radar so and i i didn't read the musical magazines so it just passed me by yeah that's fair enough um i, I guess it sort of highlights that electronica indie crossover that started happening around that time and this was certainly part of that, but the two scenes was considered very, very separate even throughout most of that period. But there's a lot of things happening in Dig Your Own Hole that are sneakily rock-ish, which I love. Yeah, I think that's why they they got quite a, a big audience quite quickly because it right. did almost cross over and capture the ear of indie kids like me. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. These guys are massive geeks as well. They're not they're not a hard partying duo they're they're known for not partying hard and they have bemoaned that reputation i got a quote from simon saying that maybe it's because we're a bit socially inadequate we used to go out all the time and just sit in the bar wearing normal clothes i think they have never really had any interest in that celebrity party lifestyle which possibly is why they've continued as long as they have yeah i i guess you're right and I guess it also means you can kind of focus. It's funny the way that the, the music we talk about, we, we talk about these these different bands and they almost go off into two totally separate threads. There are the 
the people who are really very careful about their work and dedicated, like like the Chemicals, mm-hmm. and then you've got the bands like Ash, who we talked about on our previous podcast, who just take loads of drugs and then or more Chiba and just just dump into into song yeah. what they're feeling at the time, and they're kind of almost two totally separate ways of, of working. But for the right band and the right group of human beings, either can be very successful. Yeah, well, well, these guys, I mean, right from song number one on Dig Your Own Hole. They, they just they nail it <laughs> right so. well we should we should mention exit planet dust as well so that's their debut and that is in its own right a very very accomplished album but for me everything that i liked about exit planet dust is done to the nth degree and built on for dig your own hole and that's the album that i discovered them on and particularly for that very first track that we're going to talk about which is block rock and beats which is an absolute belter of a song. Uh, it's their best song, in my view. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, I, I couldn't agree more with you. It's, it's the greatest thing they've written. Um, it's it's opens Dig Your Own Hole. And for me, it just, it makes the album and it almost makes them as a, just as a as a duo. It, it just goes, this is us. Right. Yeah, it's a classic. That intro with that kind of weird, bassy, trip-hoppy thing going on. And then you just get that bass line that kicks in. And the break beats that come in after that, it's it's so good. That whole thing is just that moment of it pausing and taking a big breath before it launches into the song. It's, it's just so good. And every time I hear it, it makes me excited. Yeah. And I think the, well, we'll probably come to this more later, but experiencing it either in a club or live, when that song happens and you've got speakers turned up to 11... Mm-hmm. You can't help but move around. I don't think you could just stand still in the corner of a room and and just not even do something. Absolutely. And and this this whole album for me, there's so much in here that just makes me want to bounce around with a big grin on my face. And that's that's part of what I love about almost everything that I love from the chemicals, whether it's this album or other albums, is things that make me want to dance, things that make me want to bounce around with a big grin this is it and they do big big anthemic sounds they do massive layers of stuff they've got samples all over the place it's it's a bit of a a mix of all sorts of stuff so i i nabbed a quote from loud and quiet who described it as full of abstract glorious noise nagging repetitions and polyrhythms and crucially a level of stylistic depth that separates it from the merry pranksters such as fatboy slim and Bentley Rhythm Ace. Harsh. <laughs> harsh at calling a fat boy slim a prankster, but I do think that's a little bit harsh, but he does have his tongue in cheek for a lot of the stuff that he does. Oh yeah, I, w- I agree with you with with that in terms of his style is is less serious, but right. I wouldn't call him a prankster. Bentley Rhythm Ace totally. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's the thing. It's it's the comparison to Bentley Rhythm Ace that I think you're right is is unfair because those guys were just dicking around as far as I could tell. I love their stuff, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. Anyway, back to the, back to the chemicals. Yeah, but I mean, this is the thing: is that this album it is big beat, but there's lots of psychedelia in here. It borders in trip hop in places, particularly in Piku and on the private psychedelia reels, which finishes the album. Apparently, that's influenced by a Japanese bootleg of unreleased Beatles psychedelia that they recorded purely for themselves to take acid to. That's amazing. Um, 
right um, not surprising in the least <laughs> absolutely it's like we make we make the best music out there at the moment we want something to take acid to i guess we'll just write something <laughs> we just do it ourselves yeah. yeah but one of the biggest things for me is like it's such a positive music style like there are moments of darkness in here that have that trip hoppy menacing vibe but the vast majority of it is just happy and upbeat and simon's describes some of their music as it's all about the celebration vibe there's positivity in it but it's making music that makes people feel good and that's true of everything that's at the heart of the chemicals well which is why if you went to a house party in the late 90s and early 2000s this would be on because it kind of creates that yeah. that atmosphere of, and it's not a kind of it's not like a party album in the oh let's have a party album. It's a serious. We're going to have a really good time. And oh we, yeah, you slightly put your head down and go big one tonight. Yeah, you might throw a TV out the window and, and smash everyone's sitting room up, but you know we're, we're going to have a good time. <laughs> Somebody's going to throw up, and somebody else yeah. is going to throw <laughs> up, waiting for them to throw up. Yeah, someone's locked themselves in the bathroom and they're throwing up. Yeah, yeah. Also, bass lines that will annoy all of your neighbours. Yeah, well, absolutely. The number of times I went to house parties where. There were total complaints from neighbours like <laughs> early on and banging on doors and chaos. Oh yeah, just just I mean we already mentioned Block Rock and Beats, but that is a song that is immensely. I mean it's complex. There's so much going on, but the baseline that underpins that is just huge. Shake some foundations to the ground, won't it? It'll kind of almost house toppling. Absolutely. I used to use that track to test my new hi-fi gear. That would be the first track that I'd put on because it wasn't just like everything had to be able to cope with the bass (laughs) and deal with that, but you also wanted it to be able to provide the level of quality for everything else that's going on above it. There's so much complexity that if if your hi-fi gear is not up to scratch, the bass will just flood everything else. Yeah, and there's 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 really high end pitches and squeaks flying around in there as well. Mm. So you you can't just have something that can handle bass without being able to pick up the the high stuff. I remember the first time I bought Hi-Fi interconnects for me for years, probably for about three or four years when I first started getting into Hi-Fi. I just believed were a complete waste of money and snake oil. And the first time I remember buying some in first year from Richer Sounds. And bringing them back to halls and plugging them in. And all of a sudden, there was all this extra detail that I could hear in Block Rock and Beats. So I was like, holy shit, it's real. Yeah. The, the spending more money on internet next thing is real. Yeah. And that might be the one part where Chemical Brothers kind of almost they construct their music so delicately that if you're driving along in your car and you don't listen to them very often, you won't realize the amount of depth that some of mm-hmm. their songs have. Yeah. It's, I think, a real issue with crappy little in-ear earbuds and crappy bluetooth speakers is that you just don't get a lot of what's going on so you'll miss a lot of the detail and you might just put it down as being yeah it's just a load of thuddy noise that isn't that interesting yeah 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 agree i've got a couple of uh interesting things about the samples on this stuff that i didn't know until i did research for this episode so Back with another one of those block rocking beats is a sample from American rapper Schooly D's 1989 song Gucci Again. Schooly D. Schooly D. <laughs> Never heard of him. That's the coolest name. Where is he now? You know what? I'm going to look him up. G- give me some more facts and I'm looking up Schooly D. The drums are lifted from Bernard Purdy's Changes. And I went and had a listen to this and it's, it's basically 
they've taken the drums from that and and fucked around with them so you can hear it you can hear that it's the, the drums but like they've done a heavy compression to make it a much bigger beat it's sped up a bit there's a bunch of stuff that they've done to it but the craziest thing is the bass is lifted from the crusaders the world's gone dry and if you go and listen to that it's right at the start but it's not how it sounds on this track it's it basically they've doubled it up and played it on this delay is really cool wow yeah i found out about schoolie d um ice t name checks him and saying he's a, he was ah. an influence um so all right ice t's your original gangster and schoolie d was a big influence so there yeah he's go. not just a he's not a nobody fair enough i mean if ice t's name checking him then uh yeah <laughs> um yeah. so yeah Block Rocking Beats then goes into Dig Your Own Hole, which I love because it's got that tweaky intro that then switches into a break beat with another funky bass line. This one kind of dives around all over the place and goes quiet and then goes big. And yeah, it does some really cool stuff. Big fan. So th- this is where my, my knowledge kind of falls off into a big hole because <laughs> it falls into the Chemical Brothers hole. I, I only know them really from the big hits. Right, so, right. So although I know all of the songs because I just heard it as this background music and every single song my ears go oh yeah this was at that party the ones that i know really well are the kind of the, the singles yeah we've mentioned setting sun mm-hmm. don't stop the rock as well which i think got released um which is probably one of the less good songs but that floats around later on the album yeah um yeah that's one that i'm less fussed about if i'm honest yeah it's okay it's a decent track but there's so much better stuff in there yeah, but the, but the rest by name, I wouldn't be able to to tell you what they're like. I have a lot of albums like that. In fact, I actually have to go and research names of tracks that I know intimately when we we talk about some of the albums on this <laughs> yeah. podcast because I literally have no idea what the names are. I just don't bother finding out. I just listen to the to the music. Electrobank is the third track on the album, and that one's a belter. And you will know that one because it's the one with the line, "Who is this doing this synthetic type of alpha beta psychedelic funking?" That one, yeah, that one, <laughs> yeah. So that's lifted. Obviously, uh, it's Keith Murray's vocal that they've sampled, and then there's an intro on there that's DJ Cool Herc's vocals, but they've recorded it at one of their own New York shows and then played it onto the track. That's clever. Yeah. That's really cool. Mad. That's the intro bit that's all fuzzy and grainy. But yeah, this is another one where you've just got this crazy wall of noise in places. There's like so much bass. If you listen to this with headphones on or with really, really high quality speakers, you just get thumped with the bass. (laughs) Awesome. It's not like a thump, 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 thump bass. It's just constant bass. It's just bass. Yeah nice uh but this is another one that's fantastic you get this it all sort of slows down it's like eight minutes long it's another long track but it sort of slows down and then literally explodes around the six minute mark and you get these big howling guitars that kicks in and then it all falls apart and sort of slows down and goes quiet and then goes into piku which is fucking brilliant (laughs) this is the one that starts in a in a way that sounds like fat boy slim's gangster tripping yeah yeah it's yeah. got that same weird tick at the start and then goes an entirely different way to Fatboy Slim's Gangster Trippin'. Uh, but it's a slow burner and again, it's pushed on by some really big bass before the brakes kick in and another one that sort of winds around and goes quiet and then loud and then quiet and then loud and all that kind of stuff. It's great. It's what makes the album so interesting. All of their tracks 
there, there isn't the kind of this is a slow track and this is a fast <laughs> track. It, there's so much detail in all of their their music that it's quite hard to pin down exactly what they're up to. One of the things that I love about it is the fact that it's we've talked about it being a house party record, but it feels like a DJ set. The, a lot of yeah. the tracks just flow into each other. They don't stop and then the next track starts. They're literally the vibe follows up into the next one or it drops off into the next track. Yeah, well, that's how they operate live, which we'll talk about later. That's that's what they do. <laughs> we certainly will. <laughs> and then you've got Setting Sun. So this is an old Oasis song called Coming On Strong to use as the basis for the lyrics, but that is based very heavily on the Beatles' Tomorrow Never Knows. And apparently Virgin Records had to hire a forensic music expert to counter the inquiries from the Beatles' lawyers. Really? What? Is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They almost got sued over it. Hang on. They had to prove that it wasn't sampled from that Beatles track. So with Tomorrow Never Knows, I was at a... Where was I? I was at a gig. You know what? I think it was Coldplay. Mm -hmm. And they were about to come on stage and, you know, the kind of pre-gig music with the kind of warm-up music. And Tomorrow Never Knows came on. And I was Mm -hmm. with a friend of ours, Tom, and, and he was just like, tune! And it was Tomorrow Never Knows. And I was like what is this? Is this the Chemical Brothers or something? And he looked at me with this kind of withering stare as if like... Standard Tom. The biggest idiot. <laughs> and he was just like, this is the Beatles. I mean, that's groundbreaking, that track. Oh, it's the track that is claimed basically invented techno and drum and bass. If you talk to Jim, that's what he'll tell you. Well, you know what? I, it, it's so groundbreaking that I kind of get it. Yeah. It certainly has a lot of influence on a lot of people the, the fact that I, I like the Chemical Brothers and I called it out thinking is this a Chemical Brothers track and it's right. the Beatles kind of t- t- tells it but that'll be because of Setting Sun because Setting Sun is so similar to that track there's all this kind of hazy psychedelic vocals from Noel Gallagher and then you've got electronic noise and squeals that put the whole thing on edge I mean it, it I've talked about how I love their positivity, but this is not a positive track. This sounds like a trip that's gone a bit weird and wrong. It's, it, was it on the Train Spotting album? Um, or it sounds like it should be. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. No, it's not. Okay. Uh, no, it wasn't on the Train Spotting album. <laughs> so the thing about Setting Sun is you know exactly what you're listening to. Those electronic howls, which I'm still not sure if it's a distorted guitar or just electronic noise at the start, but that is unmistakable in this song. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it, it doesn't make it, but it definitely identifies it. Right. I mean, we've already talked about the first five tracks. At this point, I'm just going to name check every track on the No, I've got, <laughs> I've got a couple more. Call them. It doesn't matter as great, because this starts with a really basic hi-hat thing. And it sort of doesn't really sound like it's going anywhere. And then you you suddenly get this scrambled vocal that kicks in that's a bit all over the place. And it's got a hint of what's coming in terms of the musical side of things. And it, it sort of does this weird thing where it tunes itself in. And then all of a sudden you just get this massive bass that kicks in and everything kicks off. And this is another one where if you're in a club or you're watching them live, you just everything is coming through your chest. You can literally feel <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, you're watching kind of the, the puddles of mud in front of you shake around right. with, the, with the speakers. So, such a tune. And then I'm just at the end of the album. So 
it's a really interesting thing. They do this thing where they start off where everything's building and then you get the major party element of the album and then it drops off towards the end. It's almost like this arc of like a big night out where you go all night clubbing and then the last couple of tracks of this leaving the club and and coming down off the massive high that you've had. And so you've got Where Do I Begin, which is Beth Orton lyrics, which is awesome and I love. But it's totally different to like the middle of the night, big, massive dancey stuff that you've got that comes before it. Because it just, it, it it's this light and airy and it feels like the end of the night and the start of the morning where you've just stumbled out of the club and you've come from this really dark atmospheric place, but it's already light and airy outside and the sun's come up and people are kind of wandering around and starting their day. It's it's amazing. Nice. It's so good. Beth Horton was big in the 90s. Oh, yeah. I was never a massive fan, but, but definitely appreciated her work, if, if that makes any sense. It's kind of, she was super talented. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same. I... I Loved what I'd heard, but never hooked in enough to own albums and listen to lots of her stuff. But yeah, this has got all like this reversed guitar stuff and all these like floating loops that sit on top of everything. And then it has a massive drop at about three minutes in, which is bloody brilliant. Awesome. It's it's such an uplifting track. I really like it. Apparently it's written about waking up the next day hungover and feeling discombobulated. Yeah, which is I, great. I, I know that feeling. <laughs> and then I touched on briefly the private psychedelic reel, which is like this nine-minute sitar-driven chill-out track. Apparently, the freestyle jazz clarinets on here are courtesy of Mercury Rev's Jonathan Donahue. Fuck, I love Mercury Rev. Yeah, me too. We'll, we'll probably have to talk deserted songs at some point because they're a massive fan. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm just a big old fan of them. I'll let you bring that one to the table, but I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, but it doesn't surprise me at all that he's got involved in this one um, because yeah. Mercury Rev are quite Beatles-like and you mentioned the sitars and, and that's like... Yeah. They all kind of wind, kind of spin into each other, don't they? It's kind of... You can see the influences from... that. They're not just a pure electronic band. They're like... They're looking out into all of these other, other styles. You've absolutely nailed it there, absolutely, because this is about as far from classic clubbing EDM that you can get. This is proper psychedelic rock style stuff that you wouldn't feel would be out of place in the 70s, yeah. and and it's it's fantastic. It's, it's a brilliant way to close out the album, and there's no surprises where my tastes ended up, given that this was an early influential album for me. Yeah, and... It's the same with me. I mean, it's a brilliant way to close an album because it just it mm-hmm. shows how much they bring to the party, quite literally. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's a wonderful way to create an album. It, it feels more like a thought-through album than a lot of the electronic dance music and trip-hop and stuff that was going on at the time. So we talked about leftism and we talked about on that that left field themselves have said they don't love how much they feel like there's no stylistic continuity on that album it's all just stuff that they've done individually lumped together whereas this is is not that this is a rock album in terms of thinking through how the whole thing works together true not i'd not thought about that before but you're right yeah it does work like that yeah it's great i love it I guess we should talk about some other chemical stuff as well. Yeah. Because 
I know I'm going to be told that I'm wrong on this by at least a couple of people who will tell me that Surrender is a better album, <laughs> and they are wrong. I'm sorry, but if you want to come on and talk about how much you love Surrender and tell us how great an album is, please, please come on. I'm not going to fight you because it's a great album, but this is better for my personal tastes. So I'm I'm in your camp in that Surrender isn't as good, but there are some absolute stonkers. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> stonkers on Surrender. When I, when I say it's not as good an album, it's a 96 to this 100%. Because you're going to get people saying, Hey Boy, Hey Girl is the best song they know. and Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think it's the best song on Surrender. Uh, what do you think? What's your favourite? Uh, so, so my issue with Hey Boy, Hey Girl, for starters, is I don't love the Hey Boy, Hey Girl, here we go, repetition thing. Sometimes it really annoys me, and it's a track that, if I'm in the right mood for it, I'll listen to it and love it, but sometimes it bugs me and pisses me off. So for that reason alone, I don't think it's the best track. <laughs> Fair enough. Out of Control is absolutely brilliant, and Music Response is bloody great as well. Yeah. Let Forever Be, it's pretty good. Yeah, okay, so this is part of my argument as to why Surrender's not as good. Okay, go for it. So if you compare the two Oasis vocaled tracks on the two albums, you've got the creative, brilliant mastermind of Oasis on the better track, and then you've got Liam trying to keep up and trying to outdo and failing his brother on the slightly lesser track. Love it. I'm I'm giving a point to you um, on that one because that is a that is a pretty good shout. Music response is probably my favourite track. It's so good. So I'd, I'd go with that. And again, if you listen to those first three albums, they open with an absolute belter on every single album. Every album just it, it doesn't knock on the door and say hi. It kicks the fucking door in and shouts in your face that it's here. But you could just keep going. I mean, you go on through their albums and you've got Come With Us, um, which starts with Come With Us. You've got Galvanised, which starts off push the button. It's like, (laughs) hello, (laughs) we're the Chemical Brothers. So I don't have an issue with Galvanised because it's an absolute belter of a tune. I'm with you on it. I absolutely love it. I have an issue with that album just not living up to how well it starts. It's a decent album. It's okay, but it's just not that great. Agreed. Yep, I'm agreed in agreement again. But then I sort of lost track with them. I think that was the album where I started to see them as this big stadium-filling, crowd-pleasing, record-company-pleasing, huge, mahusive act that I just sort of just wasn't that interested in anymore. Yeah, well, it it shows with me as well, because... We are the night. Um, I don't even know, and I've just looked at it. And there's a track on there called "The Salmon Dance," which clearly I should be interested in. And how I didn't I did know, spot that earlier today. How I didn't know that the Chemical Brothers have a track called "The Salmon Dance." Yeah. Well, there we go. That's my listening for after this podcast. Okay, I, I I do have a question for you. Did you listen to any of No Geography, which they released last year? Ooh, no, no, I didn't. Okay, so. This is an album that has seen them return to their roots, and I really like it. Eve of Destruction has that same kick-the-door-down announcement of, we're getting going here. And the two singles that they released, so We've Got to Try and Free Yourself, feel like proper old-school chemicals. 
Nice. Okay. That's that's totally new. It's really good. It's it's a return to form and I really like it. Good. I will uh I will investigate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we should probably mention Leave Home and Life is Sweet from their debut as well. They're both great tracks, worth listening to. Cool. Add it to the list. Yeah. So it sounds like you've seen them live as well. Yeah, I was blown away. Um I saw them headlining Glastonbury and they're almost, I was going to say they're almost a different band. I think other bands do the kind of recording and live show difference. But the Chemical Brothers, when they came on, what I didn't understand until they started their set was firstly the the light show that they were going to provide and the kind of the extras. Mm-hmm. But also, <laughs> you mentioned this earlier, how they almost turn it into a DJ set. Yeah. And they will, they'll play standout songs as standalone songs, but they'll also start mixing some together. And they'll they'll almost kind of, they'll pick and choose when to go into a full DJ set and when to go, actually, this is a standalone track. It's quite cool. Yeah, you're right. They it, So Daft Punk are the same. It, I've never seen them live, unfortunately, but I've listened to one of their live albums and they do a lot of this mashing up their own music within a track to, to mix things in and keep things going, which which is great. And I think you need that if you're going to build energy in a crowd you can't necessarily just let a slow song drift by because people will lose that energy and so they're, they're very good at lifting things as they go where did you see them or where have you seen them have you seen them many times or i've seen them a couple of times most recently i saw them at blue dot festival which is this cool it's it's basically a festival that is based under the jodrell telescope near manchester that's yeah i've i've, I've heard of it it's a fucking cool place to watch a festival. So they were projecting stuff onto the telescope during nice. the headline sets, which is awesome. This is Jodrell Bank, isn't it? The- yeah, yeah, Jodrell Bank. Yeah, yeah. The, the massive, massive... It basically looks like a massive satellite dish upturned and pointed at the sky if you've, if you've never seen a mechanical telescope like that. Yeah, no, that's cool. I think it's still the biggest telescope in Europe. Wow. Pretty sure. Yeah. It's, it's certainly up there. What what did you think about them when you saw them first? So I hadn't seen them live until much later on in in my kind of live gigging career career. And so I knew what to expect. I knew what their reputation was. I was still blown away. Absolutely love their light shows are insane. Like you say, they, they do so much with them. Did you have the big like almost massive electronic puppet silhouette things going on. No, no, didn't have that. Uh, okay, so when I saw them at, at Jodrell Bank, they they had these massive projected dancing marionette things that were they're just they're all just projected light screen projections, but absolutely brilliant. But one thing is that they're a band who are loud but they're also very clever at working within the confines of the sound that they can produce. So I've seen a lot of bands at festivals and at live sets where everything's drowned out by the bass. Yep. Particularly, I saw the XX at uh, Shepherd's Bush Empire. I want to say the Shepherd's Bush Empire, or XOYO, or some... No, wait, Coco. I think it was Coco. So I saw them in Coco or somewhere like that. And all I could hear was bass. Every time they hit a bass note, it just drowned everything out. Oh, shit. And that's not great, right? But you'd expect that someone like Chemical Brothers would potentially 
have the same issues where there's so much bass going on that you might drown out other stuff but they're very good at having everything balanced perfectly so you get all of these sounds sitting within the right layers and so the bass yeah it shakes your chest it it, you feel it in your bones but you can still hear everything else that's going on on top of that the thing i loved really loved about their set which i wasn't expecting was because they're standing behind a whole set of equipment Mm -hmm. i kind of thought it'd be boring but they both had um kind of mag lights or like kind of headlights strapped to their to their heads like like the orbital yeah yeah exactly Uh, and as soon as the music started they were just their heads were just like bouncing around all over the place and it's like just because they're getting totally into it you got into it too it's it's simple stuff but they're definitely not just pressing play on a pre-recorded set list and and wandering off and having a beer that they're they're totally into the music and having a good time doing it well the fact that they tweak stuff for their live sets so they'll run stuff into longer versions or that like you say they'll mash things up together shows that they are they're paying attention they're doing stuff on the fly rather than necessarily just hitting play yeah yeah no i'm I'm a big fan if you said What's your absolute favourite setting to, to hear them? I'd still go back to the house parties. Those those 90s house parties with right. the Chemical Brothers like blasting away. That's that's it for me. That's the that's the best. There's definitely an element of nostalgia listening to this record and thinking back to those times. One thing I should say about Blue Dot was that they finished with Block Rock and Beats and I lost my tiny little mind. <laughs> And who who wouldn't? Right. I mean, if, to be to be honest, if, if you if you don't lose your tiny little mind to a song like that at the end of a good festival, then yeah, you, you're in the wrong game. Well, it's also one of those things of your. There's a little bit of chicken going on where you know this is pretty much the last thing they're going to do, and if it's not block rocking beats, you're going to probably cry. And then they play it. It's like yes, everything is good. Everything is right. Yeah. The, the bands that do that and play with fire with like a, a greatest song and they go, right, thanks for coming. And they wander off and you think, you bastards. But yeah, it's good to hear that they uh, they sorted you out on the night. Yeah, I, I definitely needed that. But yeah, brilliant live. And they've played so many live sets. They do a lot of festivals. They do a lot of touring. Many, many people have seen them live. And I, I've never talked to anyone that's seen them live and be like, meh. Yeah, well, exactly. They're, they're awesome. You mentioned, um, or we always go on to talk about influences, and, and clearly, mm. clearly, these guys must have swayed your musical direction a little bit. Yeah, so they're part of that mid to late teens era, and so I've talked a lot about the trip hop stuff and the kind of pure electronica that I was listening to at that time. These are the guys that really drove my love of clubbing, yeah, and that dancey big beats. Bass lines that just get you in the mood, all that kind of stuff. They're, they're part of that. But I think it's also that crossover that I've alluded to of pure electronica, but also rock aspects of psychedelia and proper rock bass lines and things like that that they're using that's driven my love of a lot of that modern crossover of electronica and indie and rock and alternative music. It pushed me down that alternative route. And I think that's why I maybe drifted away from them when they became very purely mainstream was I was more interested in that side of them and the clever, interesting, intricate, weird shit that they were doing that they didn't do as much of once they got big. Yeah, that's that's fair. 
to be honest, they, they can do what they like. They, right. <laughs> they, they, know, they know what they're up to. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't resent that. It was the right thing for them to do for their musical careers. And they've clearly come back to, you know, with the most recent album, they've yeah, come yeah. back to what I suspect they love the most about creating music. But they've had an immense career based on doing very crowd-pleasing stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and good on them because, uh, yeah, I definitely think my... My musical uh, listening fun would have been dampened if they weren't around. I, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of the Chemical Brothers, but I just I love the fact that they're around. Around and if you're at a party and you hear one of their tracks come on, it it's going to be good. You're going to have a good time with it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I've now got Galvanize playing in the back of my head while we're having this conversation <laughs> just just because we mentioned it and that's how ubiquitous their stuff is that someone can say the title of the track or quote a line from it and your brain will just kick off playing it that's and actually that's a really interesting point for me in that there aren't many bands where you could name a song title and instantly it starts playing in your head and you kind of you could all, yeah. I, I don't have galvanized playing in my head i'm I'm bouncing my head along because I know exactly how it sounds and that's just shows the strength of their music it's that strings piece on the start of it yeah the strings with the massive bass line drum thing that's kicking is just is fantastic so good it's so good honestly so much great stuff I can get very excited about a lot of Chemical Brothers a lot of the time like and you're right I don't know that I would ever quote them as being like a top five album i know that i might be wrong as a podcast started because we were making what albums could be in our top three i think it was that's right and i don't know that i would ever put this in my top three but i'd certainly always put it in a top 20 or a top 10 like it's it's such a big influential album on a lot of my listening tastes even though i wouldn't necessarily say i love the chemicals i love the chemical brothers because i think there's a lot of their stuff that i'm like yeah it's fine yeah but this album is so good i think where i would place it if, if we start doing lists in terms of influential albums of teenage life and growing up mm -hmm. it would be in a kind of top 10 of this is part of that that era so i, I assume people who are listening to the podcast would probably go yeah this is this was part of my kind of growing up period as well so right yeah it's just such a such a massively influential like you say it's a house party album and everyone played at house parties yeah exactly yeah for, for me they just yeah introduced me to more of this stuff you mentioned the propeller heads decks and drums and rock and roll which decks and drums and rock and roll what an album yeah <laughs> I, I, the first gig that all of my mates went to was in Bath and it was it was to see the propeller heads play at this like tiny was it Moles one of those tiny random gigs and I, I couldn't go and um, oh. and I'd got a ticket and I couldn't go because of stuff and um, that was their entry to, to live music and, and I'm I'm bitter now to this day that I didn't go and see that I'm gonna break your heart because I saw them at a festival and just watching them do so spy break and take California were the two that I knew I didn't know anything else and they were fucking brilliant and Bentley Rhythm Ace I saw them live a mate of mine I think actually Dave Flays the guy I talked about at the start of the podcast Dave dragged me along to see BRA I think at V2000 and so just like stuff that I just had no idea about I'm trying to remember what the Bentley Rhythm Ace track is that everyone loved yeah um, God, take California is 
you kind of want to put shades on and listen to that track and like look like cool because it's just <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, I think it's Bentley's going to sort you out. <laughs> yes, I think that's the track. Yeah, that's that sounds reasonable. But those guys, those guys were almost just like dicking around with it. And it wasn't it wasn't the level of complexity and smartness that you got from the chemicals, but there was a lot of fun going they on. Were, yeah, well, I, I remember I didn't see them live, but I saw a live recording of Bentley Rhythm Ace. And mm-hmm. these two guys are just having the time of their lives and fair play to them. Right. Uh, you could just see them just bouncing around and they were just, it's like, yeah, we've got a crowd, we're having fun and fair play to them. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I think I think they were only playing on like the other stage, or maybe even the third stage at V two thousand. But we had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just a good fun party vibe. Like that's that's the whole point of big beat music. Exactly. So, um, yeah, definitely one for the uh, one for the back catalogue. Absolutely cool. Well, like we say, if you want to come on and talk about Chemical Brothers and tell us a different album is their best, we will happily listen and chat with you about it. Yeah, because we love we love having guests. Yeah, we'll 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 politely point out we may have differences in opinion. Um, because yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think mean we will. <laughs> some, sometimes I disagree with you on, on on things, but but on this one, I'm totally with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm right, so not much <laughs> to disagree with. But if I'm wrong. If it turns out I'm wrong, you might be. Come and come and give us a shout on. We're on the socials. We always say this. I might be wrong. UK on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Come and have a chat. Tell us. Tell us what we should have said that we didn't. Tell us which Chemical Brothers tracks we missed that we should have included because I'm sure that we've not talked about all of them. Or, or just tell us you think the Chemicals are shit, and then you know. Then I'll just block you. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Thanks for thanks for letting me rave about the chemicals, Henry. Yeah, cracker. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong. 